True Spirituality, Part 13, Substantial Healing in the Church. The entirety of the Christian message, the gospel, hinges upon events surrounding a man, Jesus of Nazareth, that occurred in space-time history. This man created quite a stir in first-century Palestine, which was territory occupied and controlled by a powerful empire, by making spectacular truth claims about himself and doing things that were hard to explain, but just as hard to deny. He predicted that he would be arrested, executed, and would then rise from the dead. He was, in fact, arrested, executed in the manner he predicted. He actually said he would be lifted up for all to see, which referred to Roman crucifixion. And then, starting three days later, appeared numerous times to various groups of people over a 40-day period. Finally, after giving parting words and instructions to his closest followers, he right in front of their eyes, ascended up into the heavens. Shortly thereafter, the church was born in the particular form in which we now know it. The Bible teaches that the church is, in a very special sense, his body. And as the body of Jesus, the church should exhibit him to the world. Just as our bodies are our means of communication to the external world, so the church as the body of Christ should be one of the chief means by which he communicates to the external world. We think our thoughts and then we convey our thoughts to the external world through our bodies. Our physical body is the point of communication with the outside world and this is the way we affect the world. So the church as the body of Jesus Christ, is called to be the means by which he may be exhibited and whereby he acts in this external world until he comes again. Since the fall of man, there have been two humanities and not just one. There are those who are still in rebellion against God, and there are those who by God's grace have returned to him on the basis of Christ's work on the cross. The church should be the reality and the exhibition of this distinction. Every single generation should be able to look to the church of that generation and see an exhibition of a supernaturally restored relationship, not just between the individual and God, though that is first, not just between the individual and himself, though that is crucial, but between people in the church. The word church comes from a Greek word that means a gathering of those who have been called. It has to do with being called out of a lost humanity into a new tribe, a new family of people from every conceivable socio-cultural background forming a community of those whose lives are centered on God through faith in Christ. That is the calling of the church. In our generation, as in those prior, everywhere you turn, people have the sense that we, the human race, are less than we know we should be. Our generation sees this, but the problem is not new. Ever since the fall, rebellious man has been this way and senses that things are somehow not in the proper order. Something is off. Something is 
out of joint. And the church is called out of this humanity in order to be a united humanity before a lost humanity. As I am living individually in a supernatural universe, moment by moment there will be individual results and an individual display. But equally, as we are living as a collective body made up of many people in the light of the supernatural, there will be results and a display of them. It is not only that the individual should so think and live, but the whole group as a community should be attuned to living consciously, moment by moment, in the reality of the supernatural. Then there is the witness, the display that should occur. This is a high calling, a special oneness in Christians moving and working together, a unity that is not merely organizational, or in some abstract sense. It will not be perfect because the Bible never says we're going to be perfect in this life, but on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done, there should be a substantially restored relationship among Christians here and now, which has immediate practical implications. First of all, in exhibiting who and what God is as he has revealed himself generally through the natural order and specially by direct communications with mediators that have given us the Bible, there must therefore be an emphasis on the truth about what is most real. God exists. God created the universe and human beings in his image for the purposes of knowing him, loving him, and living in accordance with his plans. Human beings have rebelled against this, and we are all caught up in it, in God's plan of redemption and restoration of what has become a fractured relationship, converges on the message, the gospel, that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has taken upon himself what is necessary for there to be a restored relationship. So the first exhibition of the church Christians who walk shoulder to shoulder, heart to heart, as those following Jesus Christ as saving and ruling king, has to do with making known what is ultimately true. For if the church is not holding to and declaring the truths God has revealed, then the body is telling lies about its head. There is truth to be known that is knowable, and Christians are to share the message. This sharing must be in words but our actions must then back up those words. We must live in a manner consistent with the message and the teachings we are boldly proclaiming. Otherwise, the world has no reason to believe they are true. The church is not a group of people that merely thinks up ideas. The church is to be a declarative statement of what God has revealed concerning himself and ourselves in the scriptures. So all of these legal aspects, as in what is true about God's nature and our nature, and that sin is a moral issue that stands between us and God, are established by God himself. The church as a group of people joining together across every conceivable social divide represents the supernaturally restored human race in reality when we conduct ourselves as the family of forgiven and adopted children we are meant to be. Though we cannot 
individually and as the church exhibit God's full character perfectly in this life, we are called to reflect the fact that he is personally involved with us as we walk by faith in the truth of the finished work of Christ on the cross that results in his spirit empowering us. That said, the battle against false doctrine and sin will never end in this life, which means that there do exist legal aspects of our relationship with the God who is there. But the proper legal relationship that has to do with right beliefs that include acknowledging our sin and need for a Savior is only the entryway into the reality of a living, personal relationship with God as Father And once in that relationship as an adopted child, we are then connected to his other children, those in the church. Being in relationship with God to enjoy him and exhibit aspects of his character in our own lives can never be mechanical or only legal, but must also be deeply personal. This is what leads to a display of redeemed human personal relationships that takes the shape of the brotherhood of believers that the Apostles' Creed refers to as the communion of saints. There is a mystical union of believers that is to be clearly displayed to the world. At the new birth through faith in Christ, I come into a new relationship with each of the persons of the Trinity— Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I become a brother to all other Christians in the family of God. It is meant to be a true kinship that is a demonstration of God's existence in Jesus Christ as risen Savior and King. What should the church consciously be then? The church should be that which encourages its members in the true Christian life, in true spirituality. It should encourage them to walk in freedom in the present life from the chains of sin and in the freedom in the present life from the results of sin's chains. It should encourage substantial healing in their separation from themselves and a substantial healing in their separation from their neighbor, especially fellow Christians. To do these things, the church must first teach the truth, and second, the church should teach what it is to practice the reality of and exhibition of God's character, that of holiness and love. The church cannot merely teach these things in words. We must see the practice of these things in the church as a corporate body. Can faith be taught? Yes, but only by exhibition. You cannot teach faith only as an abstraction or merely a set of belief propositions. There must be a demonstration of the Christian life in word and action if it is to be learned and then lived out. We are called individually and as the church to function moment by moment by conscious choice on the basis of the work of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit by faith. We must also teach in words the duty to exhibit that God exists and that he is personal and practice as a corporate body what Jesus and the apostles taught and exemplified. We must also, in words and practice, show that the church takes holiness and love expressed toward our fellow man seriously. 
And how can we do this unless consciously, intentionally, and diligently extending love and compassion toward fellow believers as well as those outside the church? If the church as a body made up of all the individual parts, each person being a vital part of the body, does not consciously seek freedom from sin's power on the basis of the finished work of Christ in the power of the Spirit by faith, how can it teach these things with integrity in words and by living well? In light of this challenge, the church's methods are very important. They must be done with the conscious awareness of the supernatural nature of reality. We must function as though the supernatural is there, that we exist in a universe where the natural slash material and supernatural are an interlocking reality. There is no escaping this truth for one who reads and takes seriously the Bible. So what are we to do about it but to exhibit the supernatural to our generation? And part of this involves not just the message of Christ, but declaring it in the way the Lord would have us to do so. There must be something the world cannot merely explain away on the basis of the world's methods or by applied psychology. And I am not speaking here of the special manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but the normal and universal promise to the church concerning the Spirit's work that enables us to love well, forgive, cooperate, and do things for our neighbors that make a difference in their lives and the communities we're in. Here there are three things to consider. First, note what Jesus said recorded in the book of Acts chapter 1 verse 8 just before he left this earth. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The church is not supposed to be a witness in its own power, but the universal promise to the church is that with the coming of the Holy Spirit, there is power to both proclaim the gospel and to conduct ourselves in a manner that reflects its truth. And how is that done but in lives that are truly transformed? Second, there is the promise that being connected to Christ as a branch is to the vine, there will be the bearing of fruit. The Apostle Paul writes of this in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, When he writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Having accepted Christ as Savior, we are to live and walk in the power of God's Spirit within us with the fruit of doing so, serving as authentication that the message is true. And the third thing is that the raised and glorified Christ will be with the church through the agency of the Spirit. The Apostle John records Jesus as saying, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. These are the things an unbelieving world should see when they look at the church, something that they cannot easily explain away. The church should be committed to the practical reality of these things, not merely agreeing to them. 
In a fallen world, there is need of organization, and there is also need of Christian leadership. But the leaders, as office bearers, stand in relationship to the church, to the people of God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as leaders. The church as a whole and the officers, pastors, elders, shepherds are to function consciously on the basis of each one being equal as created in the image of God and as equal in the sense of being sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus. In this way, believing in the priesthood of all believers, believing in the supernaturally restored relationship among those who are brothers and sisters in Christ, believing in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in each individual Christian, we are able to stand together in accordance with true spirituality. The local church must be right doctrinally. But it should also be a beautiful example of the supernatural, of the substantially healed relationship in this present life between people. If there is no reality of this, we deny what we say we believe right up to the apex of our belief system because what we really deny is that God is a personal God who acts upon and within those in relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. There must be the mindset of a genuine interest in people as people and not just as church members, attenders, fellow workers, or givers. There are people, image bearers, and this is related to one of the first teachings presented in this series that we believe in a personal universe because it all begins with a personal God. The environment of the local church must be conducive for the growth in all personal relationships. This requires teaching and exemplifying the present meaning of the work of Christ and a conscious choice of the individual and the group to lay hold of these things and help one another to put them into practice. The church is to function consciously on the basis of Christ's work in the supernaturally restored relationship between God and those who have trusted Christ and not in our natural gifts and talents. The Holy Spirit is the one by whom the body is joined together and empowered to do the work of evangelism as we reach out and extend love to the community that we are situated within. This is the Christian life. This is true spirituality.